Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Stumbled across the number one internet radio sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome, of course, welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great land of the United States. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You will pay homage to me for the next two hours because I will guide you through this crazy world of sports. And it is crazy this week. But first, we've got... Opening weekend of IndyCar, St. Pete, St. Petersburg, Florida, IndyCar has arrived. That means springtime is right around the corner. Tomorrow we jump ahead an hour. Hey, it's worth it to lose an hour of sleep because that means that spring has arrived. Then we're going to be talking some NASCAR with Tyson Lautenschlager. Uh, we're going to be talking IndyCar here in just a moment with Matthew Embry of Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, standing by in the balanced green room. Uh, and then we're going to be talking with Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com. Going to be previewing NASCAR, looking back at Vegas, looking at, taking a look at this West Coast swing. Also going to be talking a little bit of Notre Dame basketball. And in the second hour... In the second hour, Selection Sunday this weekend, bracket, Bracketology, get your your brackets ready. We're also going to be talking with Matt Hicks from 1070, the fan. We're also going to be talking with Grant Ostiff uh, about the Colts and the Pacers and about all the movies around that are going on with that. And, of course, Rick Riggin, our official college analyst, is going to be joining us throughout the second hour. All-around great guy from Evansville, Indiana. Got a packed show! 917-889-8516 is our digits. Stand by. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Welcome back to the balance. 917-889-8516 is my digits. IndyCar has arrived. The 2018 season has arrived. Million, well, we won't say millions, but I would say at least a few hundred thousand people have packed into the streets of, of uh, St. Petersburg. The engines will be roaring in the 2018, 2018 Firestone Grand Prix. And, of course, the event. Uh, kicked off uh, yesterday and it'll be going through tomorrow. 11 total races. Uh, the 110 lap Indy car race is set for tomorrow and helping us break down the opening weekend of the 2018 Indy car season is Matthew Embry, our official Indy car contributor. Matthew, how is you, sir? A little under the weather, but I think I can handle a half hour of Indy car talk with you, Tom. How are we doing? Uh, all right, buddy. I tell you what, we're ready to get things rocking and rolling down in the streets of St. Petersburg. A lot going on down there. Certainly, we're going to see 
the the race impact, if you will, of the new Arrow kit. A lot of things going on in the street uh, of, of St. Petersburg. Obviously, a huge uh, financial impact for them. Over $48 million comes to the city uh, because of IndyCar. And uh, so certainly people are, are there inside the streets of St. Petersburg. It's a little bit different of a course. Uh, it, it, they start the season off down there every single year. Talk with us a little bit about the Firestone Grand Prix of 2018. Well, it's probably one of the more raceable street courses as the IndyCar competes on, as opposed to, say, Toronto, which is a super narrow layout with only a couple places to pass. There's at least four realistic places where you can gain ground at St. Petersburg, obviously, at the end of the airport straightaway under Turn 1, then the run to Turn 4, then the turn on into Dan Weldon Wynn, obviously the hairpin. So there's four places where you can gain ground. It'd be interesting to see, though, with the lower downforce uh, capabilities of this brand new car how people adapt to it we see some new players up at the top of the practice charts for instance Ryan Hunter Ray was fastest uh yesterday at a one minute point eight right behind him James Hinscliffe with a brand new engineering staff a brand new Spit Pearson team essentially and then Will Power and Joseph Dugar in the top five and Scott Dixon uh, running fourth in the second practice session and then some surprises that are further down the list uh, Simon Pagino only 13th on Friday and then, uh, of course, Gabby Chavez down in 17th, and then Graham Rahal ends up only 20th. So some big names that uh, aren't exactly where we expected them to be, but uh, certainly uh, good to see a couple new players in Hunter Ray and Hinchcliffe up there uh, near the top of the leaderboard giving a challenge to the Penske cars and obviously to Scott Dixon at Ganassi. Absolutely, James Hinchcliffe, obviously a fan favorite, uh, certainly a personal favorite of mine. He's been on the show before. Great to see James Hinchcliffe up there. James Hinchcliffe and Ryan hunter Ray, who finished P2 and P1 at the end of the first official day of the 2018 IndyCar season, said the new Aero kit has radically changed their approach to the St. Petersburg track. What do you think that is? I don't know if it's necessarily changed uh, the approach because the times are similar to what they ran last year in qualifying. Uh, obviously, they could even possibly even threaten the one-minute barrier and breaking that uh, with the red tires, obviously, if they pick up enough time, and then, obviously, the weather stays uh, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, certainly uh, Andretti Autosport, Honda certainly has made some performance games. Uh, Jade Chips, of course, with the new uh, technical engineer at Lita Gay, who, of course, ran the Audi uh, Sport North America and Team Yost uh, sports car programs extremely well for multiple years, even in her first uh, connection with IndyCar, she's already making progress with that team. And uh, like we said, uh, even Tony Kanan in the top ten on the timesheets and Sebastian Bourdais was near the bottom of the timesheets. She won last year up in P8. So you have a few big days. And uh, how about Robert Wickens, uh, the other Spit Pearson car, the DTM uh, touring car veteran, also in the top ten yesterday. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, expanding on it a little bit about what James Hinchcliffe said about the track, he says, you definitely feel like you're hauling the mail, going down into all the braking zones, turns 1, 4, and 10. I almost kind of was hoping that we could uh, talk the track about uh, adding some uh, new signboards down turn 4, because there's only 3, 2, and 1. We used to break after 3, now there's a good chunk uh, before, before, and it's hard to judge. That's how much has changed. We literally needed new brake markers because we're going so much faster and have had so much less downforce. How big of an impact is that going to play in this week's race? Well, remember, it's a brand-new brake company, Performance Fish and Carbon Metallic, that is providing the brakes for this season. 
Um, also, obviously, there's still a few little bumpy areas at the end of that turn four straightaway. Remember, the track broke up in turn three. It actually put a makeshift chicane there last year. Thankfully, that's not the issue this time around. But, uh, yeah, it is certainly a place where you're going to have wheel hop issues, and we will see some contact in turn four, much like we will in turn one. Uh, we get to Sunday. Hopefully it doesn't delay the race by too much, but uh, you got obviously some eager drivers that are ready to make a name for themselves after a long layoff. So be curious to see if that affects drivers. And some guys could uh, try to be too aggressive early, especially in that turn four area. Well, apparently we got to uh, put some brakes on the uh, uh, potty, uh, the, uh, potty truck uh, cams as they ran, uh, as they ran into uh, Chip Canassi's uh, hospitality motorhome. Did you hear about that? I didn't hear about the motorhome. I obviously heard about the nose cam that has been placed in the front nose of the car. Yes, Not absolutely. exactly like the one that was on top of the nose, say, for Bobby Rahal, the mid-90s, but he carried that camera. So it's more aerodynamic to the car. It's like a little, you know, tuber or whatever you want to call it, stick it out of the car. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, the cameras for that shot. I always like the uh, bumper front bumper cabs of NASCAR. They got rid of those, and uh, obviously it gets you right up to the bumper and the rear wing of other cars, so it's a very interesting shot. And obviously, with it right near the roadway, that it sees, gives you a better feeling of just how fast these cars are going down the straightaways. Well, there must be something about Canadians and racing with Schmidt-Peterson uh, racing, that's for sure. You mentioned uh, Robert Wickens. Uh, he led IndyCar 7 deep field of rookies in St. Petersburg on Friday, and there was nothing uh, uh, subtle about it. So certainly uh, talk with us, help us get to know uh, Robert Wickens, rookie in the IndyCar season. Well, as I said, he ran in DTM last year. That's the German Touring Car Championship. Uh, trying to make the same jump to Indy cars directly from DTM like Dario Franchitti did uh, in the mid to late 90s uh, when he initially joined uh, Hogan Racing in 1997 and then eventually made his way to Team Green and then the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, all of his championships in IndyCar. Robert Wickens, uh, decent records as a factory driver for Mercedes-Benz and uh, Obviously had a very good practice session in replace of Mikhail Lotion at Elkhart Lake last year. That's what essentially earned him this seat. And Hinchcliffe has been telling this guy that they needed to sign him. Sam Smith has listened. And if you go by this, uh, certainly it was a good move so far. Uh, the question, obviously, I have with Wickens, though, considering he has no oval experience, is Hollow Fair at Indianapolis. And when we get closer to the month of May, and obviously at Phoenix coming up uh, later this month. But uh, so far, so good for them. I'd say the disappointment, though, so far has been the brand-new teams, uh, how they have struggled. Uh, Uncoast Racing, Rene Bender was last on the list. Uh, Michael Shank Racing, Jack Harry was 23rd on 24. Carlin. Uh, I thought Team Carlin was going to be much higher up the list than uh, 19th for Kimball and 22nd for Chilton. And uh, then you also have uh, Clement DeMeo for Dale Corn Racing on 21st. So, some new teams here, but uh, they're having trouble finding their feet and rhythm uh, early on at this point, and that's I got to say, a little bit of a surprise and maybe a little disappointment for me. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Sebastian Bordeaux and team owner Dale Coyne. And certainly, they have a partnership with Honda Performance Development. Uh, and seven years since their collaboration began uh, at this event, anyway, and the bond uh, between the defending Firestone Grand Prix uh, uh, champion uh, winners Dale Coyne and Sebastian Bourdais is only getting stronger. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, obviously the strongest Frenchman out there on the field and on the grid, and uh, is uh, certainly uh, one to contend with. Talk with us a little bit about Dale Coyne and Sebastian Bourdais this weekend at the Grand Prix, uh, the Firestone Grand Prix. 
Uh, big pickup, obviously, with uh, now new two new business partners and former Indy 500 veteran Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. Of course, they were two of the members that were with the old KV Racing team uh, as support uh, valves for that squad. Uh, obviously, getting Vassar's experience in, being a former Kart Series champion, obviously is going to be huge. And then, obviously, a big uh, money gainer with uh, the addition of Sealmaster as a sponsor for six races this year, including here this weekend and at the Indianapolis 500. And uh, you look at uh, at least one ride secure. And then, of course, you talk about uh, earlier this week, uh, Coin Racing announcing, along with Tom Burns, uh, that Connor Dale would be at the Indianapolis 500. So getting very good for this team. The question is, though, is can they start off with a bang like they did last year when I had them uh, number one and number two in my power rankings prior to uh, Borde's devastating crash qualifying in Indianapolis? So the question is, can they refine their footing and be a contender again? I think they have all the tools to be able to do it. The question is being able to do it and having the luck go your favor as well. So still some unanswered questions uh, looking ahead to the Coin Racing team. of Now officially, Dale Coin Racing with Jimmy Vassar and James Sullivan. Talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor from At Open Wheel uh, now. Uh, Matthew, let's talk a little bit about Saint, the streets of St. Petersburg, the course, and how is, does this course navigate? And yeah, I tell you what, it, those that follow this race and know this track know that in a lot of ways, the drivers have to contend with two different types of tracks on the same track. Yeah, a lot of surface changes. Obviously, the front straightaway consists of the main runway at the Albert Witted Airport, and then a bunch of the taxiways, access roads, and some street roads. Uh, very narrow sections from turn four all the way through turn nine, where it's only one car through. We've seen guys get over aggressive and get caught out, especially trying to get on the power too soon in turn nine. We saw Scott Dixon hit the inside barrier at the apex of that turn and knock himself out of the race a few years ago. So you've got to be very careful there. Obviously, uh, the run to uh, Dan Weldon quarter at turn 10 and Dan Weldon way and the run through the chicane and the final hairpin, obviously a key place where you can overtake as well. So uh, there are certainly several key areas where you've got to get it right. And then obviously keeping the car wide open as much as possible through turn three so you can get a run on guys entering toward turn four, also another key of uh, this layout. So there's plenty of places where you can gain time, but also there's plenty of places you can lose time. And obviously turn one, you got to be careful of getting very aggressive at the start because it funnels down. Uh, once you get through that uh, off-camera corner. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about some of the teams that we're looking at at the uh, Firestone Grand Prix. We'll start with Team Penske, obviously one of the strongest, most domineering teams in history with IndyCar. Team Penske, uh, Firestone Grand Prix down in St. Pete. Not as dominant as they were. Obviously, they won eight times at St. Pete. But not as down as they have been uh, based on the numbers, at least so far. Of course, that could change in qualifying. I expect Sam, Simon Pagino, for instance, will qualify a lot higher than the 13th place he showed in practice. They must have had some kind of problems. Or they tried something that didn't work out. Uh, he'll probably be up with his teammates' power in New Garden. And we should see a very good chance that we could see three Penske cars in the Firestone Fast 6 final qualifying session later this afternoon. Uh, but I'd say of those three, if you go by his road course uh, racing abilities, uh, Will Power is probably the best bet, but uh, don't count out Joseph Newgarden either because obviously he has the momentum now carrying that number one plate. Absolutely. S small yet strong. Ed Carpenter Racing, what say you? Not a bad performance for their first time out. Obviously, Spencer Pickett now a full-time driver, was 14th in practice. Jordan King had a decent run uh, for his first IndyCar appearance, uh, running 15th. 
And uh, you talk about uh, other first-timers. You talked about Wickens up there. Uh, Matthias Lest, I believe, is how his last name is pronounced. I believe it's either Least or Lest. Uh, he was 12th in practice two, but he was fastest in practice one. So a few Nate drivers making some progress early on. Uh, be interesting to see how they continue to evolve as the weekend continues. And then uh, I'd say probably the head-scratcher, Ed Jones, 16th in his first appearance for Chip Ganassi and almost a second off of Dixon's fastest time in practice. I'd say that's a bit of a concern if you're a Chip Ganassi and you're expecting you know, a supportive run to provide a, you know, some feedback for Scott Dixon in terms of challenging the Penske cars. Uh, Ed, Car- Ed Jones, excuse me, in this case, didn't give it to you necessarily in, a, in the first uh, action on Friday, ending up only 16th out of 24. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Andretti Motorsports. Of course, Marco Andretti uh, drives uh, for Andretti Herda Autosports. Uh, talk with us about them coming up this weekend. Well, obviously, Ryan Hunter Ray's in a good position after being the fastest in practice uh, yesterday. Alexander Rossi, who won last year at Watkins Glen, is close. Uh, Zach Beach still finding his feet, uh, considering this is only essentially his second appearance on a road course in IndyCar. He replaced uh, J.R. Hildebrand last year at Barber in Birmingham, Alabama. But uh, Marco Andretti, a decent performance. Obviously, I know the Marco fans are expecting him to be higher up, but uh, considering how much he's struggled the last two years where he's been 18th in the points the last couple seasons, uh, to be 11th after session one in the top half of the field, I'd say he could take that as opposed to being disappointed at this point. Uh, talking a little bit more about Team Pisky and Elio Castanevis. Team Penske certainly honors Elio Castanevis in the opening weekend. Uh, and we, we've talked about him a few times in, during the offseason. But talk with us a little bit about Elio Castanevis this weekend. Obviously, he's the Grand Marshal. Give the command to start engines. Uh, Elio certainly, I think, is handling the situation a lot better than I think a lot of people thought he would, uh, not being uh, trackside. Obviously, he's got a big event coming up next week at Sebring with the 12-hour, and uh, Penske, I think, has got a good chance there, just like they do here at St. Petersburg, to come and possibly earn a victory uh, in the second uh, most demanding uh, sports car race in the U.S. But the focus for them right now certainly is on this weekend, and certainly, I think, right now is getting uh, Simon Pagano up with his teammates. That should be the focus coming ahead to practice three here in a few minutes. Let's talk a little bit about some of the most popular drivers out on the track this weekend. Scott Dixon, obviously, is among all of those in the number nine Honda, uh, and uh, certainly with Chip Canassi Racing. Yeah, Dixon P4 in practice yesterday certainly is right on pace. If I thought, though, if Honda was going to have a leader, and I think David Land said it as well in his preview, I think he previewed that uh, Scott Dixon won the championship this year. So it's surprising that he's not the guy leading the way for Honda right now, but he certainly is close. And I think one thing that I've neglected to mention that I should mention at this point, first 17 cars in practice were separated by less than eight-tenths of a second. So if you were just eight-tenths of a second behind, you could do no better than 18th in practice yesterday. So the field is close, but it would be interesting to see how tight it stays when uh, they apply the red tires, uh, obviously the red sidewall tires, Softer compound, much more grip right out of the box. And like I said, uh, we could be threatening uh, breaking that one-minute barrier, something I don't believe it's ever happened before uh, in the history of qualifying or action at St. Pete. 
You know, another fan favorite we've not talked about much during the offseason here on the show, and certainly uh, going into the Indianapolis 500 is a huge fan favorite, uh, and that's Tony Kanaan, OTK at A.J. Foyt Enterprises uh, this year. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the changeover to A.J. Foyt with Tony Kanaan, and uh, I think he's happy with where he's at. Yeah, it's best of the rest of the Chevrolet camp behind Penske. I'd say that's pretty darn good for a team that doesn't have nearly uh, the money or the you know, technical expertise of, say, Penske does. So I think so far uh, it's been a win uh, for TK. Now, Grant, I think it's going to be tough for him to get results as opposed to when he was with Ganassi, but uh, certainly he could uh, catch a few people by surprise, and he certainly has done so so far this weekend. Now we'll see what he does uh, when we get the qualifying turn this afternoon. Two studs with Team Penske, Joseph Newgarden and Simon Padijan. What say you? Uh, like I said, Pagano, I think we're going to see more from him right now. Uh, power, certainly, I think is the best chance for a Penske car to win now at this point. And obviously, you've got uh, the popular Joseph Newgarden up there as well. So Penske, I think by the end, we get to race day on Sunday afternoon. They will have three decent chances to win this race. Of course, we have another Penske driver, Will Power, and then uh, with uh, Ray Hall Letterman racing, Graham Ray Hall and Alexander Rossi also with Andretti. Yeah, certainly uh, Graham Ray Hall, another guy disappointed. His teammate Takuo Sato, though, was P10, and he did that in only six laps of action. So certainly I think we could see more from Sato coming up today. Uh, now that he has, I think, a better car than what he was provided at Andretti Autosport outside the Indy 500. And... Uh, Look beyond that, uh, things looking good for several drivers in those camps. And uh, I think, though, if I did say there's one surprise right now, it is the lack of performance from Carlin, uh, considering they have of the new teams, probably the two most experienced drivers out there in Charlie Kimball and Max Chilton. I thought they would be a little further up on the list than, uh, say, 19th or 22nd. But, again, I think maybe it shows that, Maybe the Chevrolet engine, at least for the teams not named uh, Penske, uh, is not the way to go uh, to remain competitive. Now, is Stephen Wilson racing this weekend? No, he will be at Indianapolis. In fact, uh, we talk about uh, Indy 500 uh, deals. As I mentioned, uh, Connor Daly has joined forces with Tom Burns uh, with the number 17 entry for coin. That car will be sponsored by uh, the U.S. Air Force. And then uh, yesterday it was announced that uh, Ray Hall, Lerman, Lanigan will join forces with Indy Sports Car or IMSA Sports Car rival Scuderia Corsa to enter Oriole Servia at the Indy 500, which is now 32 uh, confirmed entry of uh, Plan 36 uh, at this point. Uh, essentially, you can make 34 because I think we know Lazier and Mann will be there. Now the question is, uh, will J.R. Hildebrand indeed sign with the second driver for Dryer Reinbold? and then uh, what uh, James Davison will do with the uh, money he has from the uh, estate of the late Jonathan Bird. Talking with Matthew Embry of Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, we're getting ready to go into Selection Sunday. Tomorrow, NCAA, Notre Dame uh, will not get an at-large bid uh, with the NCAA Big Dance. What say you, sir? I don't think they should. And before the Notre Dame nation jumps on me as, you know, being unconfident, 19 and 14, uh, you don't have an impressive record. And people say, well, Bonzi Colson was not there when they lost. When Colson was there, they lost to teams like, for instance, Ball State at home. They lost to Indiana, uh, two teams that have not been impressive this year. And uh, they had a couple other losses along the route. I think they really needed that win. They needed either to beat Virginia last week or Duke yesterday to really have a quality win out there 
to make it look a little bit better because that would have gotten the 20 wins. I'd say with a 19 and 14 record, they do not have the resume that Vanderbilt had when they had 15 losses last year and got a number nine seed because they played a murder resource schedule. Notre Dame didn't necessarily do that. They didn't really challenge themselves away from home. And uh, I think their case is not a strong one to get them in the field at this point of 68. I think uh, also some question marks now that Middle Tennessee State's going to have to call upon that large when they have their best victory, a win at Murray State. I really don't think that's going to be enough to get them in either. So I'll be very curious to see with the bubble so weak. I mean, you also have a team like Oklahoma that's only won four of their last 13 games, and they also are on the bubble. So I think I'll be very curious to see what this committee does uh, with so many, you know, very weak candidates right at that cut line of making the field or going in the NIT. So I'll be very curious to see uh, who gets left out because I don't think really any of the teams that get left out of this tournament have much of a gripe because they're the bubble – has gotten so weak this year, and this has been a trending thing, is you have teams with lesser and lesser impressive resumes now getting into the field. Uh, and obviously without mid-majors, you know, most some of the mid-majors advancing on, I mean, there really aren't that many mid-majors out there that could buy a case or have to have the possibilities of getting into the field. So you look at from that standpoint, uh, the case really for Notre Dame is, they needed to have a quality win out there, and I just do not see a quality win on their resume that says this is a team that deserves to be in the field of 68. Let's talk about the top four. Who do you think is going to come out in the top four? Where do you think Purdue's going to land at? A lot of people are saying it too, but I just think finishing third in the Big Ten, I do not put them ahead of you know Michigan State or Ohio State, I'd say right now the best they could hope for is the three, maybe a two, but if they do get a two, they're probably going to th- throw in that western region, and that's not necessarily, I think, a position where uh, Matt Painter and them would like to be at at this point. If you were to throw a dart on the board and say, hey, here's going to be my winner because they call it March Madness for a reason, uh, who wins? Virginia. Uh, this team is a super defensive club, has clutch shooting, and Kyle Guy, obviously the former <clears throat> Lawrence Central grad, who's now a sophomore, I think they've got all the pieces covered. Uh, the question is, can they handle the pressure now of being, uh, you know, not necessarily a traditional power in the recent uh, run of things? So uh, be very curious to see what they do. But I'd say based on what I've seen on the eye test, I think they are the team to beat right now, the Virginia Cavaliers. Well, we're certainly going to see what happens tomorrow is Selection Sunday. Uh, We'll see uh, those that make it in, uh, those that make it out. And uh, certainly we're going to be all excited in the second hour about it because that's all we're going to be talking about. That and, of course, uh, some uh, uh, action with the NFL. Tomorrow is the Grand Prix, the Firestone Grand Prix down in the streets of St. Pete. Who wins? If they have a better showing qualifying today, I believe Will Power or Joseph Newgarden are the two men to beat. I guess I'll have to flip a coin and say Will Power maybe gets through, uh, considering the bad luck that he's had. It, it, it's got to end some point, uh, Tom. Well, we're certainly going to be looking forward to it. Matthew Embry of At Open Will, uh, t- uh, talk with us a little bit where people can find your work and your masterpieces and what you're working on, sir. Uh, popularopenwheel.com. I will have uh, analysis on the first six uh, qualifiers uh, coming up, and also I will have a write-up here shortly uh, with Oriole Servia now being confirmed uh, to drive for Ray Letterman Lanigan's third team in Indianapolis, and obviously a new uh, IndyCar uh, semi-supported entrant 
in uh, Scuderia Corsa, who, like uh, Michael Shank Racy, is making a potential foray from the IMSA ranks uh, to IndyCar, at least for the Indianapolis 500, as a supporter for Oriel Servia. All right, fantastic, sir. We'll be following along with you and uh, certainly uh, excited to see the start of IndyCar uh, coming up. We'll talk with you again soon, sir. Anytime, Tom. Thank you. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, calling us uh, open wheel now, now talking about uh, the opening uh, weekend for IndyCar. My name is Sean Marquez El Presidente. We'll be right back right after this on the Balance Radio Network. Tyson Lautenschlager standing by in the Balance Green Room. We're going to be breaking down some NASCAR, recapping Vegas, looking at Phoenix and this whole West Coast swing. Right back. <laughs> Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Tonight, I just wanna take you away. Don't only the beans of time. Let's take this party over. Players, put your pinky, bring the 
right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark Purcell, President of Half Hour in the Books. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Uh, breaking down opening weekend down in St. Pete, boys and girls. And yes, 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 IndyCar is back. But uh, also, NASCAR has been back for a few weeks. And joining us now uh, from OnPitRoad.com, Mr. Tyson Lautenslager. Tyson, how is you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Spring's right around the corner. Tomorrow, even though we lose an hour of sleep, hey, that means that spring's right around the corner. IndyCar is back on, on the streets in St. Pete. Before we get into NASCAR, any thoughts on opening weekend of IndyCar and what's going on with IndyCar coming up this weekend? Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about the IndyCar offseason is it feels so long when the, the season ends basically in September, October, and then NASCAR eventually starts in February, and you think that IndyCar is going to be a while off, and then it kind of just hits you in the face and IndyCar's back. And So I'm looking forward to yeah. watching the race tomorrow. I think it's going to be a good race. We've seen a couple of the young drivers already pretty quick in practice, Matthias Lice being one of them. Uh, so that'll be one thing I'm looking for tomorrow. And uh, we also have, uh, you know, looking ahead to the Indy 500, we're probably going to have a bump day this year. So it'll actually, yes, I, I think absolutely. we're in for a really interesting IndyCar season. Absolutely. And you got to be proud, uh, proud Canadian IndyCar uh, fan, uh, uh, Schmidt uh, Peterson. Uh, you got Wickens and Hinchcliffe doing very well uh, down there in practice sessions at St. Pete. Yeah, we got Wickens and, and Hinchcliffe for, for Schmidt-Peterson, and then Zach Clayman DeMello running a part-time schedule for Dale Coyne Racing, so strong Canadian contingent this year. That's right. Well, you know, certainly we've got a lot to talk about with uh, NASCAR. Uh, freaky fast Kevin Harvick, great race, but it appears he uh, got put on the naughty list after the race. What say you, sir? This one uh, doesn't come as too big a surprise to me as uh, – circulating Twitter over um, as soon as the race ended basically was a, a photo that was showing the, the number four car, the rear window would basically uh, the, the top corner of it would kind of collapse um, at speed, which would allow the car to get a lot more downforce and, and people on Reddit and, and other social media, they started noticing this and posted photos to Twitter, but Chase Elliott scene was also talking about it during the race and I think a little bit, Kevin Harvick was not too happy about the penalty and, and uh, said social media probably is what led NASCAR to enforce this penalty on him. And I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but um, this was a, a part that they say broke, but parts can also be designed to break. And and I think Stuart Haas Racing and, and Rodney Childers, they may have seen an advantage here in, in creating more downforce. And I mean, good on them to see this, but... Uh, I think NASCAR made the right call um, penalizing them, and it really was a stiff penalty because Harvick won the race and then also won two stages in that race. So that was seven playoff points that he loses, uh, which is really a a bigger deal than I think a lot of people are making of it. Uh, We saw how those playoff points helped propel Martin Truex Jr. in the playoffs last year, and losing those seven points could be big, I mean, obviously, it's early in the season. You can get them back any time, but it's not its not an ideal situation to lose those seven playoff points. What Harvick is lucky, he doesn't lose his crew chief, Rodney Childers. The, the car chief was suspended for the next two races, but Childers is still good. He's going to be 
at Phoenix and uh, and and uh, Auto Club Speedway next weekend. So you 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 think this was not a uh, an accidental boo boo, but a uh, on purpose made to look like an accident boo boo? I don't know for sure if it was or not, but I, I I mean parts can be made to break, and and if they did do this intentionally, then you know I think that's really smart on their hand because they probably weren't going to get caught until social media jumped on this. So if this was an intentional. Uh, breaking or snapping of this rear window then hey good on them because they they figured out a way to to beat the competition it's just reddit also beat them you know uh talking about social media and then watching the last couple races myself i i tell you what i've got to agree with a lot of social media experts if you will I, i know we're all experts on social media but there has proven to be some definite issues with this uh, new air gun that NASCAR is supplying to the teams. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like every week we have an issue with that freaking gun. Yeah, we're, we're not just having one issue. We're having a lot of these issues with the guns. But um, and it, I mean, it is a problem right now, but I think it's something that will eventually get worked out. It's one of those kinks that you know, with a new system, it, it takes time for, for teams to get used to it. And I think once this air gun is, you know, put to the test more, we might see these issues start to subside. But it really is kind of an, an unfortunate situation when you see these air guns. They're costing teams so much time, and uh, it's really nothing of their fault. But I, I do I, – I like the, the air gun that NASCAR is supplying simply for the fact that it's it kind of equalizes the competition a little bit. We saw Joe Gibbs racing last year with the – they they put in millions of dollars to um, create and, and manufacture their air guns last year, and it ended up being a huge advantage. But not a lot, of, not every team can put a million dollars into an air gun. So I like the fact that NASCAR is trying to sort of uh, keep this to them and let the the teams um, have a little bit less freedom because it's going to equalize the competition and, and ultimately make everybody uh, make a challenge for everybody. So I personally like it. I think it just needs some time to take the, the kinks out of it. But we are seeing quite a few issues on pit road right now. Well, absolutely, and I think it's just frustrating to a lot of teams and frustrating to fans, quite frankly, to, to see – things go out of the control of the team's hand. And, and I mean, I guess we want to blame things, everything on something, uh, but it certainly uh, thinks that I think that they've got to get these issues with this gun worked out sooner than later. We're in the middle of our West Coast swing out with NASCAR, obviously out in Phoenix, Vegas last week. Uh, Phoenix is a great track, flat track, one-mile track. A lot of people call it a short track, even though it's a one-mile track. What may, why do you think people do that? Uh, you know, it, it has the characteristics of a short track, and, and the great thing about this track is is that it does have those characteristics, and I think we're going to be in for hopefully a more exciting race than we had last week because Las Vegas was quite the snoozer and uh, probably one of my least favorite <laughs> races I've seen over the last few years. So hopefully uh, Phoenix or ISM Raceway, which I need to get in the habit of calling it now since that is the new name, uh, I think hopefully we'll be in for a, a better weekend this weekend than we did last. 
Bubba Wallace is trying to find some speed. Uh, it seems like he's just kind of like yet uh, so close, yet so far, as they say. And, and certainly and he's had a very disappointing uh, start to NASCAR season uh, and certainly into his regular rookie uh, full-time season with uh, uh, the Monster Energy Series. Uh, Bubba Wallace, what say you, sir? Well, I think people need to, to be mindful of the fact that Bubba, this team, they're they're not in good equipment. Like, they're getting basically secondhand um, Richard Childers racing stuff, which RCR's equipment isn't very good either. And he's actually been outrunning William Byron, his competitor for Rookie of the Year, which I think nobody saw that coming. Um, Byron is extremely talented. He's driving for Hendrick Motorsports. He should be outperforming Bubba. But in fact, we're, we're kind of seeing it the other way around. At, at Daytona, Bubba Wallace finished a miraculous second. William Byron, uh, rec- I believe he wrecked out of the race at Daytona, but he, he, really, he really wasn't showing uh, much skill at Daytona. And then at Atlanta, before Bubba had his uh, issues, probably driving a little bit too hard, but Bubba was running ahead of him the entire race uh, up until uh, he hit the wall. And then even last week at Las Vegas, Bubba Walls outran William Byron all weekend, and Byron struggled mightily at Las Vegas. He was running around the 30s all day, which for a Hendrick car, that's really not good. I, I think this weekend we're seeing a bit of a different situation with Hendrick. They're starting to find what they need to find to, to have a little bit more speed. Byron did qualify in the top 12. But I think uh, Bubba is doing a pretty good job so far. Um, he's never really been that uh, you know much of a qualifier. He tends to make more make. Uh, ground up in the race so I, I don't think you can kind of look at his qualifying speeds and think oh they're they might be in trouble because I think by the end of the day Bubba Wallace could uh, either end up in in the top 20 on Sunday or at least pretty close to it but this team they're still trying to find things and they're still a small single car team that is struggling and is getting secondhand equipment so maybe as the season goes on that team can be better prepared and run better I mean, even when they were with Ford last year, we, we've never really seen them run all that well, even with Eric Almirola. Well, we don't see the trucks back on the track again till the 24th down in Martinsville, but we do have a double scoop out in Phoenix at the ISM Raceway, as you said. Got to get used to, to saying that. Uh, today, obviously, the Xfinity Series uh, take the track uh, today, and so certainly talk with us a little bit about today's Xfinity race before we get into tomorrow's Monster Energy uh, race out in Phoenix. Well, I think as always with uh, an Xfinity race, the guys that you got to watch are, are Kyle Busch and, and Brad Keselowski, who's going to be running his first uh, Xfinity race of the season. But we also saw last week um, what was really strange in the uh, Las Vegas Xfinity race was Kyle Busch was nowhere to be found. He ran uh, very poorly throughout the entire race, and then they had an issue um, at the end, uh, but they just they weren't there. They they we're barely running bottom half of the top 10. Uh, I don't think that'll necessarily be the case this time around. They've shown more speed. They don't have Kevin Harvick to worry, worry about. He dominated the Xfinity race as well uh, last week. So I, I think uh, looking ahead to, to this race, Bush and Brad Close here are going to be the guys to watch. But then there's also another interesting story with Jamie McMurray in the Xfinity race. He's running for the first time in the series since, like, 2013. 
And um, basically when the the 42 car schedule was picked, uh, Jamie selected a few races that he wanted to run. So he's going to run the tracks that he personally likes in this series and that he enjoys. So I think that shows that McMurray could be someone to watch today, that Chip Ganassi racing car. They've uh, always got good speed in the, uh, in this series. So McMurray is going to be a guy to watch. And then if you want to look out for an extended guy, Cole Custer has really been coming on strong um, going back to the end of last season. And then so far in the early portions of this season, uh, and he even led final practice yesterday. So, there, there are uh, certainly quite a few stories to watch today. And for some reason, the Xfinity race at Phoenix tends to be a bit of a, uh, a crash fest, so that could be something to look for as well. We always like a big old crash fest, that's for sure, as long as nobody's hurt uh, or whatever, that's for sure. Uh, we go on to the Monster Energy uh, Series in, in uh, Phoenix tomorrow. Uh, we talked a little bit about the track itself being a one-mile track, got a lot of breaking points, and, and I think a lot of people like say, hey, well, it's a short track, but technically not, but it's, it's fun to watch. We're going to see a lot of action out in Phoenix uh, this, uh, this weekend, and I tell you what, Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, also like other tracks that we see, always, speak of uh, Crash Fest, we always see the big one at Phoenix. Is it going to happen this weekend? I don't know for sure if it will, but we definitely do tend to see quite a bit of calamity, and I think it's because, you know, on the occasion that we do get a, a big one, so to speak, in Phoenix, it, it tends to happen uh, either the middle of the corner of turn three and four or right at the end of turn four. And when that does happen, it blocks up a big part of the track, which is why a lot of cars end up getting involved. I, I don't know if we're going to see a quote-unquote big one this weekend, um, but this race does typically have quite a few crashes um, every now and then, and it, it does turn into a, an attrition race at the end. We usually see the first um the first stage or two is pretty calm at Phoenix, and then getting that last stage, it's you know all chaos. So we could see the same sort of situation again, but uh, it's kind of hard to judge, um, you know, early in the weekend. But I, I think probably uh, there's a good chance we could see something like that. Martin Truex Jr. takes the poll for Sunday's Ticket Guardian 500 at ISM uh, Raceway. Certainly, Martin Truex Jr. is uh, proving this year that he wants to be there again uh, in the championship row again this year. Martin Truex uh, Jr., man, you you just can't count him out. No, you never can, and... the weird thing about Truex being on top here is this usually isn't a track where we see him often run all that well. Uh, even last year uh, in the playoffs, he, he wasn't really uh, that much of a contender, if I remember correctly. Um, so Truex being up front here at a track that doesn't really reward horsepower necessarily, that should worry the competition just a little bit. But then you got guys like Kyle Larson and, and Alex Bowman, who we saw in uh, 2016 when he was, driving in relief for Dale Jr. He he really wants to win this race because he let that 2016 race get away from him. And Hendrick does seem to be uh, showing a little bit more speed this weekend. So I think the Chevys um, with the new Camaro, they're starting to come on strong, and, and I don't think you can uh, count them out. But when you're looking at a guy like Truex, you can obviously never count him out either. Jimmy Johnson seems to be struggling this year, and we saw it last week in Vegas. 
Uh, we, we, we've seen this during this West Coast swing. We've seen uh, Jimmy Johnson just kind of be not really a non-contender and not really a – he just seems to be there. And I, I don't think that it's anything that he's done or maybe that his team's done, but clearly uh, his team uh, uh, is is struggling uh, to, to find – their their groove, if they if you will. Uh, how does JJ get his uh, mojo back, sir? I really don't know, and I think this is a case of uh, a few things, and it is the I think the growing pains of having the new Chevy Camaro. Um, that is something that the, the all the Chevy teams have struggled with so far early on in the season. I think you add in the fact that Junior doesn't or uh, Jimmy doesn't have any. Uh, veteran teammates to uh, rely on anymore so if he needs information for his car I mean he can go to Chase Elliott who can probably give him some good stuff but he he doesn't have a a Dale Jr. or Jeff Gordon or even a Casey Kane anymore that he can lean on for a little bit of advice because that's what veteran teammates do they they help each other out Uh, so he doesn't have that I think the the relationship with Chad Knauss isn't the same as it used to be and Jimmy Johnson is also 42 years old. He is getting a little bit older. He's still an extremely talented driver, but I think it is taking him a lot longer to get back up to speed. But, I mean, we talked before how you can't count out Martin Truex. You really can't count out Jimmy Johnson either. The last last year wasn't really a good year for him, and even 2016 when he won the championship was statistically at that time it was his worst season ever. Um so he can he can get back into it and you know maybe contend to win a, a couple races this year, but I don't think we're going to see uh, all that strong a season from him. I, I don't expect him to be all that strong in, uh, at ISM Raceway this weekend. It's just we're we're starting to see the um, the age of Jimmy Johnson show, which is really unfortunate because when you're in uh, this this era of racing, it's kind of nice seeing a guy like Jimmy Johnson run all, all uh, up front all the time and run well. And we're not seeing it as much anymore. Um, I think we are seeing the age of the young guys come in and, and the age of guys like Jimmy Johnson slowly go away. <laughs> well, out with the old in with the new, I guess, uh, you know, Jimmy Johnson certainly uh, could retire today and be a hall of famer and be a success in his sport. So nothing to hang his head low about, but you're right. He is getting to that, to be that age. And we are seeing drivers retire every single year. So not saying that he's going to retire this year, but you know, certainly he's getting to that point where I'm sure that those conversations are being had. You know, I want to talk with you a little bit about a, you know, we often talk, Talk about both an IndyCar, NASCAR, and other racing series that that the racing family is very tight. Even though they may have their disagreements on the track, uh, even though there might be some some uh, tit for tats, but at the end of the day, they are a family. And we saw that play out this week with Matthew Diabetto and his uh, social media uh, plea, uh, you know, for money because they did not have a sponsor for this week's race and we saw people like Daryl Waltrip and Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson and a lot of drivers step up and say hey I'm going to dip into my pocket for you bro here you go and you know he's going to be in the booth today as well uh, with Fox with the Xfinity series but such a feel-good story for me 
to see other drivers uh, stand up and try to help a fellow driver that they did this week with uh, Matthew Diabeto. Uh, Diabeto, I'm sorry I'm saying that name wrong, but I'm sure you're very familiar with the story. I just thought it was a, a feel-good uh, story, sir, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think it really is a feel-good story. You know, Benedetto, he, he's always been a really talented driver in this series, but he's never had good equipment to show that. And a lot of drivers have recognized this. And, and um, you know, he put out that plea on, on social media the other day, and I don't think he expected near the response that it got. I, I think they probably expected, you know, maybe to get an associate sponsor or two out of this, but I don't think they expected Daryl Waltrip and, and Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin to all step up and, and want to put their logos on his car. And then it did get him a primary sponsor in the end. He got a couple other sponsors on the way. And if you look at that car, it is full of logos this weekend. Um, so good on them for, for getting the sponsorship. Uh, I hate that we're in that the age of NASCAR where you have these really talented drivers like the Benedetto and they have to rely on social media to get sponsorship because he is really uh, quite a talent and, and uh, to be going into the fourth race of the season and, and this team is struggling for sponsorship, it's really a shame. And I hope we can get back to a point where um, – these drivers that have charters because the whole point of this charter system was um, to be put in place so that these, these guys would be guaranteed a spot in the week, in the race every weekend. And hopefully that would help them attract some sponsorship and keep these teams afloat. And clearly that doesn't seem to be working right now. So I hope we get back to a point in the sport where drivers like De Benedetto and, and this team that is locked in every week doesn't have to worry about if they're going to make it to the racetrack or not. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, fantasy. Do you do you do fantasy NASCAR, sir? Uh, yeah, I compete in in a few uh, pools, but I don't do like um, like Yahoo Fantasy or anything like that. Well, I do. I the only thing I do is the NASCAR Live, whatever. So uh, some of the things that they ask is stage one winner. Who's going to be the stage one winner? Well, based on um, on who's starting up front, I would say. Um, Either – can I pick two drivers? You can pick as many as you want, sir. <laughs> All right, I will take the whole field then. No, I'll take uh, Truex uh, and Larson. Truex and Larson. And, you know, here's the, the, the thing, and I, I am fortunate enough to uh, – with the league that, that I'm in with over there at uh, Speedway Digest – by the way, I, I am in the lead uh, – but <laughs> – <laughs> I just kind of fell into it, honestly. Uh, but I, I am enjoying I, – I, I'm huge into fantasy football, but this is like the first year that I've ever really dedicated some time uh, to uh, fantasy NASCAR, and I'm realizing it's bigger than what I ever, ever thought that it was. So walk us through, if you're a fantasy NASCAR expert, which I clearly am not, fantasy football maybe, fantasy NASCAR not, how do you pick your lineup? How do you go about – picking that winning strategy in your fantasy NASCAR? Well, see, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because I tend to to get these things (laughs) wrong a lot because I think that there's a thing that goes into it where you can't – my thing is I I like to look at statistics and I like to look at numbers, and I don't think you can necessarily do that with fantasy because a lot of the time it is kind of luck of the draw and things tend to happen. Like, look, Kevin Harvick, uh, a seven-time winner at Phoenix and – probably one of the best drivers here, but anything can happen. He can finish 35th and, and not get any stage points. And, and, you know, he comes out of the day with two points. 
where you look at, at last week, Harvick wins the race, but that, um, and I don't know how this, how this factors into fantasy, uh, but he did lose uh, 20 points on the race and he lost those seven stage points. So fantasy, it's, it's a, it really is kind of luck of the draw and you just have to hope you're picking the right drivers. I mean, at the same time, you know, you don't want to be picking the, the Greg Aldings who aren't going to get you any points. But you got to be picking the drivers up in the front that, that can get you points, but you, you can't look at it with a statistical mindset, I think, like I tend to. And that's why I typically don't do all that well in, in fantasy lineups or um, NASCAR pools, although right now I'm sitting fourth in mine, so I'm doing okay. Well, we'll see how, see how it all pans out. Certainly, we've ran out of time to talk with Tyson Lautenschlager uh, of uh, OnPitRoad.com, talking about the West Coast Swing and uh, out at ISM in Phoenix uh, this weekend. Who wins the Monster Energy uh, NASCAR Series race tomorrow, sir? Well, I'm really feeling like uh, those Camaros are getting better. And while I've kind of been um, a little bit, I've always given him a hard time, I think Maybe this could be the weekend Chase Elliott wins his first cup race. That would be fantastic. I'm sure his dad would be very, very proud. I like Kyle Larson, even though I know he's starting number two. And depending on we talked about uh, uh, calamity on the track, uh, he might get tangled up with some stuff, but I'm going to uh, root for old Kyle Larson to, to get a win out in Phoenix. Uh, uh, Tyson, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Yeah, you can always go to onpitroad.com. Check us out on there. We'll be uh, covering both NASCAR and IndyCar this weekend as IndyCar is back. And you can follow on Twitter at onpitroad and follow me on Twitter at TysonLot23. All right, buddy. We appreciate it. And we'll talk with you again soon and have yourself a good race weekend, sir. All right. Thanks. You too, Tom. All right. Thank you. TysonLotSlogger on Pitroad. Okay. Tyson Lost Trucker of OnPitRoad.com uh, joins us in talking some NASCAR with us. We'll be back with Rick Riggin, Matt Hicks uh, from 1070, the fan in the Jersey Johnny and Matt Hicks uh, show. And I believe Grant Ossiff also is going to be joining us right around the corner right here on the Balance Radio Network. <laughs> Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Welcome back to the ballots. One hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, giving us a call and talking with us about opening weekend with the uh, Firestone Grand Prix down in St. Pete. That's right. Spring is right around the, the, the corner. And also thank you to Tyson Lautensager of OnPitRoad.com, breaking down the NASCAR West Coast swing. We are located here in the heart of Indianapolis high atop the balance studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. So we like to, to go regional every now and then and, and go homer-wise, but also joining us is my partner in crime, Rick Riggin, uh, from uh, down in Evansville, our official college uh, Good morning. analyst. Uh, good morning, sir. Our official college analyst, uh, Matt Hicks uh, from 1070 The Fan and Jersey Johnny Fan uh, Show, and Grant Austin, uh, who writes uh, the Pacers, holds up, obviously out at the University of Arizona. Uh, so welcome aboard, everyone. Matt, are you with us? Yeah, good morning. Fantastic. Are you with us, Grant? Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, fantastic. Guys, let's talk a little bit about the Colts. We'll get into the Pacers, and then, of course, tomorrow's big selection Sunday. So we'll talk a little bit about what that means locally uh, and regionally, if you will. Even though we're a national show, we like to show a little love to our backyard, if you will. So we'll start with you, Grant. Obviously, we're looking at going into next week with the uh, free agency opening up with the Colts. And we, we've heard some talk about uh, the Colts making a move uh, with the Dallas tackle. Talk with us a little bit about what you're looking for from the draft and also from free agency, Frank Reich and Chris, and Chris Ballard and Jim Mersey. Well, I think for agency, Anthony Hitchens is probably a name to watch because obviously Matt Eberflus was a defensive, uh, or I mean a uh, linebacking coach for the Dallas Cowboys, and now is the defensive coordinator. And uh, there's been some some linking in rumors so far, and that's a big position of need. And uh, the offensive line is probably a, something to watch too because you don't really want to bring back Andrew Luck and then fill your offensive line holes with a young offensive lineman that haven't proven themselves yet either. And, uh, you know, I think uh, replacing Dante Moncrief will be another thing as well because you don't really want to have a bunch of young wide receivers that haven't proven anything alongside T.Y. Hilton again either. And uh, replacing Frank Gore would be another another thing to watch in the backfield. And uh, that one can probably be resolved in the draft. And uh, the draft probably, you know, with uh, Saquon Barkley having such a good combine, 
that that changes things, and it would probably be more so Bradley Chubb and you know with that three the third pick, and then everything else is kind of just you know, up for grabs at that point regarding what else could happen with that top pick. Grant Ostev, certainly a a college student studying sports uh, journalism out there at the uh, at Arizona State University. We're going to get into uh, college selection here in just a, a few minutes as well. Joining us now also is Matt Hicks, Jersey Johnny Show, and the uh, Matt Hicks Show on 1070 The Fan. Uh, let's talk with you a little bit about Frank Reich. Uh, Chris Ballard, that fusion, I think it worked out well. Honestly, I think it worked out better than what, what we thought was going to happen. Okay, so that, all that's done. Frank Reich is our coach. We haven't had a chance to talk with you since uh, Frank Reich became the coach but certainly there's a lot of work that needs to be done inside the Colts camp where do they start where do they go what do they need to do free agency and the draft Matt go ahead sir well it'll it'll definitely be interesting uh, especially with potentially the shakeup we saw at the top of the draft last night uh, conventional wisdom would have probably thought that the Browns would have taken a quarterback with that number one pick before what they did yesterday, getting Taylor. Um, But we'll see. They may not take a quarterback number one overall. Maybe they take Barkley number one overall. The Giants. Oh, no! Oh, stay in the heart. (laughs) Yeah, the the Giants, for all intents and purposes, could take Chubb if they decide not to take a quarterback. Suddenly that third pick in the draft becomes very valuable from a trade standpoint. Uh, for someone that wants to jump up and get the quarterback they would like. So, you know, boy, I don't know in recent recent memory that we've had this much uncertainty about how the first two picks in the draft are going to go for quite a while. Probably the last time was when uh, the the, the offensive tackles went one-two, however many years ago that was with uh, Kansas City and Jacksonville. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. um, I, I don't know that we know what's going to happen from a draft standpoint until the night of at this point, things may sort out as we get closer, but free agency is really an interesting thing. I think, uh, I mean, I think you have to address the wide receiver position through free agency just because typically the wide receiver spot in the draft takes a while to develop. And I don't know that you have that kind of time to let another wide receiver hopefully develop in the draft. So um, that will be a, a, a telling uh, direction in which this team is going to go with how they address the wide receiver position if they do so with maybe making a run at an Allen Robinson. Uh, he's essentially like getting another draft pick. So I wouldn't be shocked if they go after him. I also wouldn't be shocked if they, they go big into offensive line next week if they do indeed try to make a splash on the first day or the first weekend, if you will. But this team, uh, there's not a lot of leaks. I mean, we've we said that now for a while. You don't really know what's going on until it happens, which is uh, kind of a, harkens back to the old Bill Polian days where I remember, you know, way back when you, you didn't know, you couldn't even guess who this team was going to draft. And, and, and sure enough, you'd be stunned when they took a Reggie Wayne or a Dallas Clark or, or even a Dwight Freeney. And, it, hey, it worked out, didn't it? So, uh, let's see. Uh, it'll be interesting to, to to watch this team going forward and, and, and see how things develop for them and how they react to those developments. 
And keep in mind, when Peyton Manning was drafted, he wasn't the most popular pick either. <laughs> so I'm glad things worked out the way they did as far as that goes. Um, now, uh, Rick Brigan uh, from down in Evansville, I know you're our college football analyst and certainly a big Notre Dame homer guy. Uh, you've got to be happy with the way that the Browns kind of did some shaking and baking. Uh, Reggie Wayne broke the, the news about Kaiser uh, being traded to Green Bay. Um, but nonetheless, the Browns did some moving around. That might mean, as, as Matt just said, that Barkley and Chubb are gone in the first two uh, picks. So you got to think that maybe there's a good chance the Colts uh, trade this pick, uh, the first two picks out of this way. But if they don't and Barkley and Chubb are gone, you got to think that Quentin Nelson is the next one in line, Rick. Yeah, if the Colts are looking for you know, the talent on that offensive line, I mean, Quentin Nelson is going to be their guy. I mean, it's really clear what the Browns are doing now. They're really going heavy after offense, after picking up Jarvis Landry. Uh, also, you know, just a couple of days ago, free agency or whatever. Uh, but that puts a damn from the Colts' uh, draft picks, because I know, Tom, you were wanting uh, Saquon Barkley. Uh, it looks like he's probably going to Cleveland because it looks like they're going heavy on the athletes uh, for the uh, offense up there in uh, Cleveland. So, yeah, I think Quentin Nelson is going to be your guy, Tom. I have Matt and uh, – I think you're a big Colts guy, too. So I'm a big Irish homer, as Tom said. So I think Quentin Nelson's staying right here in Indiana. Well, there we go. We'll see what happens. Grant Ossip uh, down at Arizona State. I, I know that you're getting up early to give us a call today, buddy, and I certainly appreciate that. I know that you, you that college kids stay up late studying really, really hard, and on, especially on a Friday night, and that's your biggest study night. So I appreciate you uh, jumping on board with us. But I, I've noticed a few articles that you've uh, uh, put out this week. I know you do a lot of blogging for the Colts and for the Pacers. Uh, talk with us a little bit about what you've been working on this week as far as uh, the Colts go and what you've been talking about, what they should be doing in the upcoming draft and free agency. What do you think about what Matt and Rick said about Barkley and Chubb and uh, moving some draft picks around maybe? Well, I think uh, well, you know, now the focus is going to be on uh, kind of analyzing what the effects of that trade from the Browns, or the trades I should say from the Browns, will be with for the Colts with that third pick because I saw, you know, a report. I forgot who reported it, but um, it was about, like, uh, Cleveland maybe using Tyrod Taylor for a year and then uh, taking a quarterback still and then um, bringing that quarterback, you know, uh, through the, you know, through the ropes and stuff for a whole year and then letting him, you know, start at that position. But uh, you don't know if that's going to come with the top pick or the fourth pick. And it's looking like Barkley's probably going to be that top pick right now after that great combine that he had. And, uh, you know, just probably looking at trade packages too because if, you know, the Giants aren't sold on the quarterback or they just want to, you know, keep building around what they've got right now, then, and you know, they could take Chubb and then, as you know, what was said earlier, and then all of a sudden, you know, the two guys that you were looking at are all of a sudden not available and number four is looking for a quarterback. So you might as well capitalize on that in a trade to can get some extra assets in return to get a guy that you're probably going to get as a backup option anyways, like a Quentin Nelson or maybe a Minka Fitzpatrick to bolster that, uh, you know, that defense with just building blocks. And, uh, you know, we were working on free agency stuff as well. 
because, uh, you know, there, with a 53-man roster, there's always so much you can do. You can do uh, high, you know, the high-level free agents that, you know, a lot of people are watching, but you can also do those, like, mid-level and bargain-type free agents to watch, too. And uh, those are good to watch because you don't really know what direction this team's going to go at at those positions of need because, uh, you know, like until really the draft happens especially because if they, you know, they take a, you know, a, a early round pick on, you know, let's say a running back, then they're probably not going to want to spend a whole lot of money on that position in free agency, for example. So, yeah, just kind of like looking at the constructs of the team and uh, getting ready for free agency and all that good stuff. Matthew, let's talk a little bit about the free agency and the Colts. Obviously, uh, uh, Jack Newhorf is uh, probably the one of the and, – and Dante Moncrief are probably the, the two biggest uh, free agents that we'll be talking about. Here's what I think happens. I think Don, Dante Moncrief goes somewhere else, but they have got to find a way to seal a deal. And I heard your uh, uh, colleagues, J&B, uh, yesterday afternoon, are basically echoing this very same thing. They have got to find a way to secure a deal uh, with Jack Newhoff. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Colts free agents? Who, who are they going to let go? Who are they going to try to keep? And who are they going to get? Well, I think they're going to try to keep Rashawn Melvin. Um, that's, that's, that's one that they would like to. And I, one of the few things you do here out of 56th street is that there's some mutual interest there. I think they're, I think both parties are trying to gauge what the market is for him, because here's a guy that's kind of bounced around a little bit, had a, quite frankly, I think you'd say a surprising season with the Colts this year. Um, he's kind of, your going into next year, your number one lockdown corner. Um, and he played like that last season. There's not, nothing to take away from him, but I, I don't know that anyone quite knows how to pay him at this point. And I think that's the issue there. So I think, actually, I would I would say he's priority one. And then you you get to Jack Muhort, and I think you just have to make a decision and figure out the the liability there. Frankly, he's I, mean, I don't think you can say it any other way. He's an injury prone guard. Um, I'd have to look it up, but has he has he played all 16 games in the season at this point? Um, and, and he may have. I just may not be thinking right, but it just mm-hmm. seems like he's he's kind of been injury prone. So I think you have to weigh that if you're going to pay him starting guard money in the NFL against what you know could could be considered an injury prone guy. So I think you I think you you'd be wise to bring him back, and that makes a lot of sense, especially. At this point, you've only got seven draft picks. Now, you've got a lot of money to spend. There's no question there. Um, and you have to spend some of it because you've got to get to the floor, which I don't think they're quite to the floor, the salary cap floor yet. So I have to spend a little bit of that money. Um, but, yeah, from a, from a standpoint of just continuity and, and that offensive line, while at times was just maddening, other times played reasonably well last season. Anthony Costanzo, if you will, for example, he's kind of like much maligned and everybody wants to get down on him. And yeah, he had a first, a rough first half, but the second half of the season, he played pretty well. Um, so I, I think from that standpoint, you'd like to be able to say at least you got three guys set in that starting lineup. You'd have Costanzo, Ryan Kelly, and if you bring back Newhart, you'd, you'd have Newhart penciled in as well at one of the guard positions, whatever side you decide to put him on. Um, so the price has to be right, if you will, though. And I think that's where it comes. That's where it comes with Jack Newhart. 
Who, Matt, who's running, the, who's running the calls here? Is it Frank Reich? Is it Chris Ballard? Is it Jim Irsay? Is it a combination thereof? How much say-so do you think, or how much leadway are, are they giving Frank Reich? How much weight are they weighing on his opinion? Obviously, Chris Ballard has a huge scouting background and has a lot of trust in our scouts. So I would think that a lot of things lie on the laps of, of, of uh, Chris Ballard when they're looking for some free agents, especially when they're looking, like you said, spending that money wisely and being good stewards that money and uh you know uh, jim mercy I, I i don't know how much say so these days that he's having in things uh maybe he has more than what we realize but who do you think is, is calling the shots out out there on 56th street oh i i think it's it's definitely to some extent by committee who has the final word i think that depends probably on the transaction it, it would be my guess um you know uh, but the the bigger the name the, the the bigger the check if you will probably the higher up the ladder it goes but i think i think this team will work together on decisions like this with with Reich with with Ursay who who's got the final word I, I don't know i don't pretend to know i think it's it is um to some extent everybody in a room together trying to come to an agreement and and hopefully it doesn't come down to one person saying, okay, we're going this, you know, this is it, my way or the highway. Uh, but sometimes you, 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 you feel that strongly about a person and you, you want to lay it out there. So, again, I, I don't know. I don't know who's got the final word. And I, and I forgot your other question. I'm sorry. Oh no, that's okay. You really did answer it. I was just asking who was who's going to be the uh, who, who's calling the shots out there. So that's fine. Yeah, Rick, yeah. let me. Ask, we talked a little. We talked a little. Uh, get all of you guys' thoughts on this. We talked a little bit about Michael Bennett being uh, traded to the Eagles. I talked with Ed, and Ed thinks that that. You know, maybe it wasn't the best move, but he also thinks that a lot of things with Michael Bennett in his, is in his past. We saw Tennessee Titans also, Rick, release DeMarco Murray. I like this. I like the fact, even if it's a one-year deal, I think he'll at least help the Colts get back on their feet. What are your thoughts on that Michael Bennett uh, trade to the Eagles and DeMarco Murray being out there? Is that somebody that the Colts should target? Well, it's really crazy to me that the Eagles would pick up Michael Bennett. Uh, he's on the backside of his career, and now I feel the uh, the, the off-field, you know, uh, circus, I guess, that's following him now uh, outweighs his talent as he's towards the end of, uh, end of his career with the whole uh, thing in Vegas and the false reporting, the police brutality, and, you know, ESPN picked him to be their guy to educate every all of us on, you know, race and what's going on with the uh, – <laughs> Police brutality and yeah, you can't pick Michael Bennett to be your spokesperson for that. Uh, so I just think it was I, I, I don't know the, uh, the the deal with the Eagles picking up Michael Bennett, maybe just giving him a shot a one year deal. I don't know his deal, uh, the the deal with Philly, but uh, I think it's a poor move too. I think his off field uh, problems outweigh his talent at this point now. So, but we'll see. Grant, uh, what are your thoughts on uh, 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 Murray being out there? Colts, should they pick him up or should they just uh, pass him by? Uh, he's an interesting to uh, you know player to look at because we all know he had such great success with Dallas with a great offensive line, but I don't know if Indianapolis's line is going to be there yet, and he's getting up there in age, so I may may think to look towards the draft in one of those uh, earlier rounds for for that position. 
Matt, uh, let's get your thoughts on DeMarco Murray, and we'll switch over to the Pacers. DeMarco Murray's released from the Titans. Uh, is that a target for the Colts, or, or do they just like, oh, that has nothing to do with us? I, I think he would be great yeah, for the I Colts, would, to be honest with you. Yeah, I would agree with Grant. I don't think he brings anything to the Colts' need at this point. Um, I think that's well said. You know, they can they can they can replace that Frank Gore position, if you will, from the draft. And and I think you know, in in all reality, I, I almost wonder if Frank Gore wouldn't potentially fall into that Ahmad Bradshaw role. You know, four or five games into the season, perhaps still unsigned. Uh, maybe then, if through injury or through just natural progression on the on the depth chart. Uh, the Colts don't find that they need some help at running back and give Frank Gore a call. You know he's a consummate professional that will be in shape and ready to go. I, I just kind of almost wonder if they don't bring somebody like him back. Uh, Murray, uh, yeah, I, Grant made a great point. I think he's been outstanding with good offensive lines. Let's be honest, the Colts don't have that here. So, uh, and, and they Bad might point. by the end of the season. But Grant, Grant's, Grant's spot on. I think you can replace that that production from the draft quite easily and maybe develop a guy into a, you know, a, a, a first or a second string type of player. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about Pacers. Why we still got you guys on the line here. Uh, the Pacers win against Atlanta last night. They're 12 and three since January. I think everybody's completely happy now, even if the Pacers lost every game for the rest of the season, that they're completely happy with the season at this point. So at this point, I, I hate to say they're playing with house money, but honestly, I don't think anybody thought the Pacers were going to be here. I don't think they thought they were going to be a, uh, having as good of a season they are. I think they're just having fun, and, and I think Depot has added a lot. He was an all-star this year. I think, honestly, we, we came out okay without Paul George, and, and I think everybody's moved on from Paul George. What say you? Matt? Oh yeah, no, I to- totally agree. Oh, I'm um, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't say your name. I apologize. <laughs> Go ahead. No, it's buddy. okay. No, it, it's uh, it's it's uh, it is true. I mean, they they made you know the old saying. They made lemonade out of lemons. I mean, you know, they they were faced with a, just a crap situation, but they turned into a positive. They've got they've caught to some extent lightning in a bottle, and I don't mean to overstate it because this is not a contender. And their ceiling is, is per, perhaps maybe with the right matchups an appearance in the conference finals. I, I think if everything broke perfectly, they could find themselves in the conference finals, and that would just take uh, a Herculean effort in that second round. But to, to even have that conversation as being a fantasy is, is more than I think anyone would have ever predicted for this ball club. So, no, I, I think to some extent house money is accurate, but they are on their way to – putting themselves in a position to have an out, another outstanding offseason. They've proven this team is fun to play together with. That attracts a certain level of free agent, I think. And, I, no, LeBron James is not going to come. Kevin Durant's not going to come. But that, that next that <laughs> And next I bought tier, my billboards. <laughs> yeah, right. That next tier, though, of free agent, this will be a very attractive uh, landing spot for someone. Uh, the David West in his prime type of free agent that, that, that the Pacers were able to sign several years ago, that next tier that could really make this a mid-pack Eastern Conference team with two 
potentially an upper-tier Eastern Conference team. There's a long way to go to call this team a championship contender, but can they contend in the East with a little tweaking and perhaps an addition here or there? I think absolutely they can. And uh, this, uh, this staff from a, from a uh, you know, from, from a upper office management level here has done a phenomenal job. And I think everybody should be under consideration for all the year end awards, coach of the year, executive of the year, all those things, because they have turned a team that was predicted at most to win 35 or 36 games into a team that's going to perhaps have a home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. Absolutely. You can't ask for more than that. Rick, I know you're a huge expert on the NBA. Of course, that's sarcasm. Uh, But do you have anything to add to the Pacer conversation? Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I've got nothing. I'm a sports guy, I, I will I gotta, this is the worst thing to, to, to say on any radio show, podcast, whatever, you're on your sports guy, they say that you do not follow something, because that's the word, but I do not follow the NBA, but I, I, I do know what you're talking about, about the Pacers, aren't they like fourth in the uh, Eastern Conference right now, uh, I, I think uh, Matt is right, I mean, they're, with a little bit of tweaking, they can get up to that next level and compete with the uh, – well, I mean, they're hard to compete with the Cavs now this year. I think they're actually maybe a spot ahead of them in the standings. But I I, I think the Paul George deal was the best thing in the world for the Pacers, uh, bringing uh, Victor Oladipo back uh, here to Indiana. I think that was great. And uh, recapture some of the glory days from the, you know, the 90s with uh, Reggie Miller, who is actually my favorite NBA player of all time. Well, there you go. We've been talking with uh, Grant Alsiv, a columnist from out Arizona State University, studying sport journalism, does a great job blogging for the Colts and the Pacers. Uh, Matt Hicks of 1070 The Fan, uh, the Jersey Johnny and, and Matt Hicks show. Uh, Rick Riggins, my partner in crime and uh, uh, all-around good guy from down in, in Evansville. Grant, let's get your thoughts on the Pacers real quickly, and then we'll talk a little bit about local impact on the uh, uh, NCAA selection. Go ahead, uh, Grant. I think uh, the moment that Victor Oladipo was named the all-star this season was ruled a success because making the playoffs is, you know, that's another successful thing. But going forward, in the NBA, you need all-stars. And the best way to get more all-stars is to have an all-star and, uh, you know, have a lot of money when the summer comes around. So, you know, I I think while this is a great feel-good story and it's awesome for, you know, Pacers fans this year, I think something to really look forward to is that 2018 and 2019 off season, because, you know, guys in 2019 who are coming off their contracts like Clay Thompson and, you know, players like that are on teams that, you know, they're going to have to pay massive luxury tax payments and their cores are going to be getting up in age. So Indiana could try to, you know, preserve their salary cap space, keep this team around for another year and then, you know, put money towards, a marquee free agent after having another, you know, better season in 2018-19 and, you know, capitalizing free agency. Uh, Grant, I, I do also apologize. I did not, when I was given your credits, I know that you write for the uh, Kokomo Tribune as well, uh, so you do a great job over there. Uh, Matt, let's talk a little bit about Selection Sunday tomorrow. The Butler Bulldogs are, are, are you know, Villanova, just, just the Wildcats are so, so tough. But I tell you what, the Butler Bulldogs, 
you, you especially on, on the night before last, you know, the, the, the game they won, Butler Bulldogs are going to be there. They're going to be in the tournament. They're going to be in the dance. Villanova, I'm sure, is going to have a number one seat, we would think. Let's talk a little bit about the local impact. We've got Purdue. We got Butler. We don't have IU. IU season just went in the toilet. It is what it is. We just got to be patient as Hoosier fans, as I am, that, uh, you know, uh, Sean Miller, I mean, <laughs> no, not Sean Whoa. Miller, Archie Miller, <laughs> the other Miller. <laughs> no, we don't want anything to do with Sean Miller. Ah, I'm so sorry. that The Sean Miller just kind of rolls off your tongue these days. Uh, Archie Miller, we just got to be patient with him. I think that they, they've got a lot of things going on. NCAA tournament as it as it uh, applies locally here. And what are your thoughts uh, looking into Selection Sunday tomorrow, sir? Well, yeah, it looks like it'll just be Purdue and uh, Butler from an Indiana standpoint. Um, I think Notre Dame had a half a shot, uh, maybe to hear their name called. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen now, just because of other tournaments going the way they have one bid leagues becoming two bid leagues this year, I think has kind of um, kind of squashed their, what little hopes they had left. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's good for, for Butler first year head coach uh, uh, for them. And I think that's, that's a great step in the right direction to keep that program nationally relevant to, um, continue their their run in the tournament and that'll be good for them to to, to uh see what the matchup's like and you know with butler playing a, a tough tough conference season now this is not the butler of old where you you never knew really what they were coming into the tournament now you kind of know what they are they're they're, they're a battle tested team so the right matchup wouldn't shock me at all to see them advance to the second round or or, or maybe even the regional semifinal. that wouldn't shock me either um, depending on their matchup. And then Purdue, boy, you'd like to see him make a long run uh, w- with that group. That senior class uh, has been together a long time and, and experience, and the, especially those opening round games is key. So I think anything, you know, it's kind of polar opposites. You know, Butler would be, like, incredibly satisfying, and, and what a great story it would be to see them get to the regional semifinal. And for Purdue, you almost kind of expect them to go to the regional semifinal, and if they don't get that far, it would be a disappointment. So uh, it'll be interesting to see it play out and, and who the number, the four number one seeds are. And it's always fun to see where everybody goes. And I, I, I made that trip when I was in Indiana State. I got to make the trip twice to the NCAA tournament, which uh, which was a lot of fun. We went out in Salt Lake City once and went to Memphis the next year. Actually, won a game. So it, it's it's a special time for those universities, those kids, and, and all the support groups that get to go with them. It's a, it's a neat thing, and, and it, boy, there's nothing quite like March Madness, is there? Oh, absolutely not. Tomorrow's Selection Sunday. Uh, uh, Rick and I will be back here in the next half hour talking about Selection Sunday. We'll have our brackets out as soon as those, those selections are done. So, Matt, hopefully you'll pick up a balanced bracket. So will you, Grant. Uh, Grant, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, most of my work can be found on indianasportscoverage.com, and then I write a weekly Pacers column for the Kokomo Tribune, which can be found in their paper and in, uh, on their online platform. Matthew Hicks uh, of 1070, the fan here, local, and the Jersey Johnny and Matt Hicks uh, show. What are you guys working on this weekend? Where can people find your work in Masterpieces, sir? 
Well, this is a, a wonderful platform for me to kind of set the story straight and just make sure everybody knows what's going on with me, if you'll give me just a second. Um, I have uh, kind Go of right ahead. gone into a self, self-imposed hiatus from the Jersey Johnny show. John's still going oh, strong. Okay. Joey Molinaro is, is, has taken my spot and doing a great job. Uh, but I just uh, I need to spend some more time at home. So I am, uh, for, for now, and I'll never say never, but for now, taking a back seat. And uh, that's what kind of, uh, when you say what's next, I don't know. I, I was at the girls, uh, Indiana girls uh, state championship games a couple weeks ago. I'll have to miss the boys because I'm going to be out of town. Uh, so what's next? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. We'll see what comes up and what uh, opportunities roll around the corner. But for right now, I'm still on Twitter, uh, HicksM05. And uh, occasionally you'll hear me on 1070, but, but for now it's kind of uh, a little bit unknown, which is kind of exciting. I, I, was, I was on the Jersey Johnny show for 10, almost 10 years, um, which in radio. Been around for a while, is, buddy. <laughs> yeah, radio, and that's, that's like dog years plus seven. So I think that's like 100 years. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, yes. and, you know, John and I still talk almost every day. It's just, yeah, I needed to spend some more time at home, so. Uh, what's next is a, definitely a, a, a TBD at this point. Well, you know, I'm sure whatever you do, you'll, you'll succeed at. Obviously, uh, you know, you've been around uh, the local radio format for several years, and certainly uh, your, your relationship with Bob Lovell and Jersey Johnny and yep. your knowledge of, of local sports is, is unparalleled. So you're always welcome here on, on The Balancer, and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. All right. All right. All right, guys, we're going to take a break. Myself and Rick Riggin will be back. We're going to be breaking down Selection Sunday, talking a little bit more uh, what happened with the Browns, some Dylan and Bacon, and what all went on there. My name is Tom Marquez El Presidente. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming. 
GEICO makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on GEICO.com or the GEICO mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. final quarter of the game today thank you to uh matthew embry our official indycar contributor calling us this morning talking with us a little bit about opening day down in st petersburg and then of course uh tyson lautenschlager joined us and talked nascar the west coast swing in this last half hour we've been joined by matt hicks uh and also by grant alstiv a, a student down in uh arizona state uh writes for the kokomo tribune does blogging for the colts and the pacers and you know hey I, i'm glad we had an opportunity for breaking news for uh matt hicks uh and he used our, our platform to be able to announce that i honestly was not aware of that but we wish him the best of luck and matt's been around local radio here in indianapolis uh for many many years and very very knowledgeable on local sports here in indiana but joining me now mo is sick when typically mo from the bs sports show would be joining us he has influenza and cannot stop coughing so uh he uh says that he uh, apologizes for not being able to join today. He wanted to talk some March Madness with us, but, hey, that's okay. It's going around. So it's me and my partner in crime, Mr. Rick Riggin. Rick, welcome back to the balance. What's up? Ah, the madness of March. The madness of March. It's upon us. It is here. And we, we've got, we, we will release the official balance brackets uh, right after Selection Sunday. So if you guys want it, we'll put all – all the information on social media, it's free. Just let us know, and we will get you set up with a a bracket. So let's kind of just uh, talk a little bit about Selection Sunday. Obviously, uh, there's there's we got some pretty obvious. I don't think there's going to be any surprises when we look at the, the, the uh, number one seeds, but when we look at the, the who we think will be the four number one seeds, what are your thoughts, sir? Right. Uh, I don't think there's any surprise there. Uh, you know, I, I actually think Villanova's probably the best overall team in the country. I think they'll be the overall number one. I think they're – I don't think there's any one really dominating team this year, kind of the way it's been the past couple of years. There's been a lot of parity towards the top of the uh, the bracket uh, the past few years, but I do think Villanova probably has an edge over everybody else. Uh, with Virginia, I know they're they're going to be a one, but I'm just not quite convinced that – Virginia gets deeper in this tournament, will have the legs to uh, compete because we've seen in, in the last couple games they are just pulling out close wins. They won on a last-second three-pointer against Louisville about a week ago. Uh, they had to pull one out the end against Notre Dame a few days ago. Uh, so when they get against these tougher teams in a tournament, I think that uh, I, I don't think they'll be able to keep their legs, you know, so – and uh, you have to remind me who the other top two seeds are, Tom. <laughs> 
Well, you know, we, we got we to gotta think. We don't know who the seeds are going to be, but we, we'll right. certainly uh, be taking a look at that here in the next half hour. But I don't think Duke is going to be number one. I know you're going to be down in. Yeah, I was just saying, I don't think Duke's going to be number one. But no, I agree with you. I do believe they're going to be solid number ones. Well, here's the 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 the. Can I just say that I absolutely, and, and I'm going to take this moment to just tell you how much I despise automatic pop up, automatic plays, because when you're trying to like do your show and those damn things pop up and it comes up in your ears. All right, I'm done venting. <laughs> Okay, so here's what we've got to look at. We've got to look at the bubble teams. <laughs> the, the bubble teams, we look at Louisville, St. Mary, Oklahoma State, and USC. I think Oklahoma has just fallen apart. I'm glad to see that, that, that Louisville hopefully won't get in, uh, knowing what we know now. Uh, so th- this might be the end of the world as we know it uh, going, going forward uh, with the NCAA. But uh, St. Mary's uh, and USC are certainly two teams that I think have a legitimate shot of getting into March Madness. Yeah, I do too. And, and with St. Mary's, uh, you really just compare them with uh, with Gonzaga out there in the West Coast. Uh, they're the main rival. Uh, St. Mary's is one of these teams that is in. It's kind of like your eight, nine, ten seed every year. I, I do believe that that's how they'll get in this time around. And USC is looking good too in in the uh, Pac-12. So I do believe those two teams are in. Uh, take a step back to the uh, uh, last 10 minutes, you know, when Matt Hicks was on uh, talking about how Notre Dame probably not getting in. I actually agree with him. Uh, now that they're all back healthy, uh, they may still be a bubble team, but I'm not sure that kind of the blowout loss of Duke a couple of days ago really hurt them. But they're all back he- healthy with Monty Colson back. I do believe that they're like a top 15 team with him back healthy, and the whole team is back healthy. It didn't work out for them a couple of days ago. So that's kind of just an interesting thing the committee will have with Notre Dame. I don't believe they're going to get in. If they get into the NIT, I think they'll win the NIT. Uh, I do believe they're a tournament team. I just don't think they'll get in because they had a lot of bad luck with the injuries and the record. And that blowout loss to Duke a couple of days ago really killed them. So they needed that win or at least lose really close to be a bubble team. But I just don't think Notre Dame's getting in. So yesterday I, I spent some time putting together. I won't go through all of these uh, teams just because uh, for for essence of time. But I did put together what I think is going to happen in uh, the 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 South, the East, the West, and the Midwest. So we'll talk about the South first. I think Virginia is going to be the number one seed there. Uh, and uh, we look at uh, uh, Providence, Alabama, Florida, uh, uh, Louisiana, Lafayette, Texas Tech, South Dakota State, Arkansas. Uh, Louisville, uh, Michigan, Bucknell, TCU, Florida State, Cincinnati, and UC uh, Davis as a number 15 seed there. And certainly we look at probably the play in there will will is either going to be uh, Nicole or Hampton. Uh, obviously, if they beat Virginia there and bracket buster, that's, that's just going to be what happens there. So uh, what are your thoughts? Really on the, predominantly the number one and the number two seeds there in the south will probably be uh, Virginia and Cincinnati. Yeah, uh, like I said, I'm not quite sold on Virginia. I do believe they, they deserve a number one seed, but I just think as we get Sweet 16, Elite Eight time, uh, that's where they're going to probably run into their problem. And I'm also not sold on Cincinnati. Uh, they, 
did have a good win against Xavier a week or so ago, and Xavier's probably going to be a two or three seed. Uh, I would tell you the uh, the team to watch out for if that's how it breaks out. You know how you just explain that side of the bracket is Florida. Florida had a blowout win against Kentucky about a week ago. Florida is playing some really hot basketball. They are hot at the right time. I'd watch out for Florida on that side of the bracket. Well, you're absolutely right, and. You know, Alabama uh, is showing some, some life, too, but we'll, we'll see what happens uh, right. with Alabama's them. Alabama's the really tough right now, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're, let's, look, let's look at the East. So obviously, that's obviously going to go to number one, Villanova. We, I think we pretty much know that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, the, the, the play-in game will either be uh, LIU Brooklyn or Arkansas uh, Pine Bluff. And then you've got Virginia Tech, Missouri, Wichita State, New Mexico State, West Virginia, Montana, Kentucky, Loyola, Chicago, Michigan State, UNC, Greensboro, Seton Hall, Kansas State, and the number two in in the east will be Duke. And then, of course, Wright State with the number uh, 15 seed. Uh, Villanova, again, uh, you got to look at them. I would not be surprised if they do go to the Final Four. If not the championship game, Villanova is just that good. They are, uh, like I just said, I don't feel there's one, like, totally dominant team in the entire field this year. But if there is, I, I do think Philanova is kind of just a, a step above everybody else. Uh, if you get Duke and Michigan State in that same bracket also, uh, that would be a really get, uh, awesome game to watch. I don't know how it's going to play out if Duke and Michigan State will get to play against each other and the winner of that will get to play Nova. That would be – you know, one of these awesome games you want to see in the tournament. Uh, but I, I do think Nova will have no problems if, if that's the way that that side of the bracket shakes out. Absolutely. So we look over at the West, uh, what I think is going to happen with the West. North Carolina, the number one seed there. Uh, the, num- the number 16 is clearly uh, going to be Radford there, Rhode Island, Creighton, Ohio State, Oklahoma State, or St. Mary's. I eh, don't know there. Arizona. Western Kentucky, Houston, Oklahoma, Auburn, Buffalo, Texas A&M. Uh, Purdue would be the number two seat in the West uh, with, uh, with Penn be- coming in with a 15. you got to look at North Carolina and Purdue. Purdue, I would not be shocked at all to see them go deep into the, to, to the tournament and, and make a run with it. It would be great. I'm not a big Purdue fan, but certainly it would be good to see an Indiana team go deep into the, to the dance. Right, that I, you know, Tom brought you guys. We're not allowed to say good things about Purdue and going to the Final Four. You know that it's a rule. But I do agree <laughs> with you. It'd be nice to see an Indiana team like Purdue go to the Final Four and watch out for Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State can play. Uh, they, they are a great team. I mean, they can beat Purdue. They can beat North Carolina. So if you want a uh, an X factor team, you know, I don't know if there'll be a dark horse or what you want to call them, but uh, Ohio State is. That's they're a tough, uh, tough team on that side of the bracket. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State made the Final Four. Talking March Madness with Rick Riggin, our official college analyst, uh, uh, talking with us about what's going on Selection Sunday. We're just kind of putting together some brainstorming, spitballing, if you will. Uh, certainly none of this is etched in stone, as uh, that will all is held deep, dark secret here in the city of Indianapolis at the NCAA headquarters on Selection uh, Sunday. But we've got to kind of use our brain on some things and forecast uh, some brackets. So we're, we're on to the Midwest. Kansas is going to be the number one seed there. Um, 
uh, Lip Lipscomb or whatever you say, however you say that name, number sixteen seed. Yeah, I, I like these. Let's come, yeah. I mean, I love I love seeing these teams getting in the dance and have an opportunity to play against uh, teams like Kansas. And, and certainly, I think we all, even though it kills our brackets, I think we all like to see the bracket busters, and we all like to see who's going to be the Cinderella teams. But, you know, you kind of like to think that usually that's not going to happen in the first round, but it has happened in the past. we got to look at North Carolina State. Butler's going to be in this bracket as well. Uh, I look for them to be a number nine seed. Clemson, uh, Murray State, Gonzaga, uh, Vermont, Miami, UCLA, uh, Steve Alford's team, uh, Tennessee, um, College of Charleston, Nevada, Texas, Xavier, and Iona uh, looking to uh, take over the Midwest. What say you, sir? Yeah, it's so easy just want to go chalk when you're talking about all these teams, and you can picture Kansas going against uh, somebody like Wichita State or you know what I mean, some of these mid-major schools, and then it, it's so easy to just want to pick Kansas in that game, but there's going to be, a, a, like every year, a ton of upsets uh, in this tournament. You know, the the only team that I, that I feel uh, that won't fall victim to uh, one of these uh, mid-major upsets is probably Villanova, because I, I think Kansas and Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, all these teams are just suspect to a, a big loss like that, so uh, I'm also Kansas is one of these other teams that I I feel they're maybe a notch above Virginia, but I just don't think they're quite on the level of Villanova just yet. I need to see them play a couple more games in this tournament, but they're not going to play anybody big. They're going to play a 16, and then their next game is going to be against an eight or a nine or however it plays out. So I'm not sold on Kansas this year because the uh, the Big 12 wasn't with Oklahoma falling apart towards the end and the Big 12 being kind of a down conference this year for basketball, just not sold on Kansas. So uh, Kansas is one of these teams that, that can that can fall. I won't say first two rounds, but definitely Sweet 16. Well, for the essence of time, we won't go into the Sweet 16, but who I think might be in the Elite Eight uh, would be, uh, we'll start in the South, would be uh, Virginia, Florida, uh, Michigan, and Cincinnati, I believe, would be in the Elite Eight in the South. What are your thoughts? As like I said, with all of those teams, uh, I, I think the, these teams might make it through the first two rounds okay. But uh, you get the uh, Sweet 16, Elite Eight, Elite Eight, that's when they're going to suffer their their, their loss. Uh, I think all those teams you just mentioned, Florida, uh, it's probably the, the strongest team. I know Virginia's going to be the one, but I'm more sold on Florida. They're probably going to be a three or four seed, but I just think uh, they're hot at the right time. The way they're playing, they just look like a really tough out in the tournament right now. So I'm taking Florida as the uh, toughest team out of those you just mentioned. Well, absolutely. So now we're looking at the West going into the Elite Eight. We look at North Carolina, um, Arizona. And here's where we might see some some upset. I, I, I think we can see Buffalo make a run for it because they are a very good unknown team. So look for your Cinderella team there and also Purdue. Hey, you're talking about some action, you know, Matt, Matt Conference action, action. So uh, it's actually cool to see a, a, a team like Buffalo uh, mm-hmm. get a win against Purdue or some, somebody like that. I mean, 
you know, Midwestern, well, they're not really a Midwest team, but they're in a Midwest conference, a Midwestern conference. Uh, out of those, I, I would take North Carolina over Purdue. Uh, definitely. Uh, they had a, I believe they had a huge win. I mean, I kind of turned off the game before it was over, but they were up big against Duke last night. I haven't seen this morning, but, uh, uh North Carolina is going to be a tough out. I mean, they very easily themselves can make it to the final four. I, I do, I do like North Carolina a little better than Duke this year. So, uh, I think North Carolina and Florida so far, how the teams you just talked about are probably the, the toughest outs so far. Again, we're just spitballing here, and anything can happen. They call it March Madness for a reason. Let's look over at the East. Villanova is going to be in uh, the uh, Elite Eight, as well as well uh, uh, Michigan State and Duke. And you know, here's the thing: I'm not a Kentucky fan, uh, but there's some other action going on in that bracket that I, that I think can cause some chaos. I hope Kentucky loses, but my brain says Kentucky will be in the Elite Eight, but we'll just hope that they don't get there. But, you know, I I think you look at teams like New Mexico State, and you look at teams like West Virginia, and you look at teams like Kansas State can cause some calamity in that bracket, and hopefully it's enough chaos to screw up my predictions with the Elite Eight. But I certainly uh, think that that's where where we'll be at in in the East. Yeah, with Kentucky, you know, they're – it's a whole team of freshmen every year, and uh, this year's team—they're they're good, but every other John Calipari team full of freshmen—they just seemed a lot—they seem a lot more polished at point in the season every year. And, and this year's Kentucky team just doesn't doesn't seem to have that spit shine polish on them just yet. There's something there seems to be something missing. I don't know if it's athleticism or if they just haven't really fully 100% completely gelled together. Uh, as a team, I don't know what it is. They're full of freshmen, but they just don't look as polished as you would normally see a, a John Calipari team full of freshmen look every year. I mean, they could compete every year. I just don't think this year uh, they, they could probably make Sweet 16. But once they get to Sweet 16, I, I believe Kentucky's in trouble this year because there's just something with them that this year seems a little bit off. They're just not quite polished. Are you saying that Kentucky will not eat first this year? <laughs> if it was right, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't believe there's, I don't believe they're a Final Four team. That's what I'm saying. Maybe not even Elite Eight. That's rumored uh, to to be uh, one of uh, John Calipari's uh, famous isms that he says to recruits when he's recruiting them and he's at their house. He says Kentucky always eats first. So we'll see. Uh, in the Midwest, Kansas, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Kansas is going to be in the Elite Eight. I like me some Butler Bulldogs, so I'm going to ride that train for right now. I don't know if they'll get to the Final Four, but I think they'll at least get to to the Elite Eight. I like Vermont. There's your there's your upset. Another upset going to the to the Elite Eight, and uh, Xavier, of course, obviously in the Elite Eight there. Oh yeah, uh, if you ask me, uh, I actually like Xavier a little better. I do Kansas. I mean. I don't know when once the big stage is set and the lights are on and, you know, the millions of viewers on the tournament time and if Xavier and Kansas met up because Kansas is used to games like that, if Xavier could beat Kansas. But, man, I really do like Xavier this year. They look tough. They look really tough. Uh, I, I do think Kansas will probably make it to the Final Four in, in, in that region. But it would not surprise me at all if Xavier's pull out a win against Kansas. 
Well, I tell you what, I think my final four will start there in the Midwest. Uh, will be uh, Kansas and Xavier uh, in the Final Four game. That's just running chalk, like you said. However, I, I'm all for some some uh, br- bracket busters. I mean, I fill out a couple bracket buster brackets just for fun. Uh, so, yeah, I'm all for that to happen. But if we're just running chalk right now, I think right now it is Kansas and uh, Xavier in your Final Four from the Midwest. Yeah, and and like I said, when you get the bracket and you got it in front of you, it's so hard to do because it's really easy just to to go chalk. And no matter how big of a sports fan, no matter how closely you follow it, you you have your blue bloods in college basketball, and those are your go-tos. And it's so easy to just think that Kansas isn't going to lose to Lipscomb, and 99.9% of the time you're going to be right, but then you'll get a, a crazy year and something like that would happen where they would lose. I'm not saying that's this year or what I'm thinking, but you know what I mean. You you cannot predict what's going to happen in a tournament. I do think March Madness is the greatest thing in sports, especially the first two rounds Thursday of the week coming up. So, And actually with me, Tom, uh, I'm going. I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to the first two rounds of Nashville. So can't wait until tomorrow night. He's going to be there. Yeah. (laughs) Can't wait for it. It's going to be fun. Well, I know you're going to be down there uh, for, uh, during showtime, so maybe you can give us a call and talk with us a little bit about the atmosphere with the oh, NCAA. Yeah. Definitely going to try. Definitely going to try. Okay. Too. And Saturday is right. the off day because, you know, that Friday and Sunday is when the games are in Nashville this year. Right. Absolutely. We are losing our stream. We won't be going much into balance extra. Just going to get through our final four here. Uh, but the East, uh, you know, we're running we're running chalk here. We look at Villanova and and Duke uh, and uh, to. To be in the, the the final four over there in the in the final games for the final four. I'm sorry. I, I still think Villanova is going to go in the final four. Yes, I agree with you. And like you say, it's really hard to predict who the final four is going to be just because we don't know how the brackets are going to be laid out yet. So, but yeah, I, I, Villanova is definitely. Uh, I think Villanova is probably going to win the championship. That's my prediction. I'll go ahead and say that now before Selection Sunday. Uh, Villanova is going to be my uh, championship pick. Well, we go over to the South. Uh, Virginia and Cincinnati, I think, will be in the in the in the spot for the playoffs. I like Virginia. I just think they could actually win it all. I'm going to have to put them in the Final Four. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that side? I mean, without knowing who, who's going to be on Virginia's side, I mean, I'm just not sold on Virginia. I, I think they'll take a loss in Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. So. Whatever side of the bracket they're on, I, I just don't – I'm not – for me personally, I'm not putting them in the Final Four. I mean, they are just winning too many way too close games towards the end of the season here against teams they should be beating pretty good. You know, I I, 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 I think this could be a good year for Purdue. I think that, that it could come down to Purdue and North Carolina for the Final Four. That's going to be a real tough battle for them. But I, I, let's ride the train a little bit. Let's 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 go against the grain a little bit. Purdue gets into the Final Four. Yeah, it, it definitely could happen. And not to go against like your Virginia pick, but if Purdue is on the uh, Virginia side of the bracket here. Then uh, I I think Purdue beats Virginia and could definitely get into the Final Four. Same as North Carolina or Michigan State. 
Absolutely. And again, we don't we don't know how these are going to play out. This was just kind of a bracket that I put together yesterday, so I, it could be totally screwed up. Uh, you know, as far as where, what, what teams <laughs> will fight what. So, uh, so the final uh, final four uh, we've got. Uh, I think we just you know Kansas is just still too good, uh, and, and you know you, you look at, the, at who they could possibly play over there. I just think that they could dominate the Midwest. Kansas goes to the Final Four as well. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I do think Kansas is really good. I, I think they're they're beatable, but you know how it is in tournament time, Tom. It it's a uh, you know these blue blood teams like Kansas really just uh, they they show up, they play tough, they're tough to beat. Uh, I'm with you. I think Kansas probably is a Final Four team, but I do think they're very beatable this year, too. Well, we'll certainly uh, see how things pan out. That's for sure tomorrow. Uh, so that's all the time that we got. But, Rick Riggin, where can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? I'm sorry. You can find me at long. You can find me at. You can find me on Twitter at long delay, and also at ring underscore Rick. <laughs> that long delay is, is this a new one or is that, is that... <laughs> that long delay all right buddy my name is Tom Mark LaSalle President Tay I'm out of here don't drink a drive we'll see you next week 9, 9 a.m. sharp right here eastern time zone on the balance radio network I'm out of here deuces <laughs> Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.